When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Season 1, Episode 8 of Six Feet Under Crossroads is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. That's right, it is the Six Feet Under podcast, where we are revisiting the critically acclaimed HBO series, episode by episode, and I always have to read it in that voice. My name is Ariel, and I am joined by my co-host, Amanda, who took a very enjoyable trip to San Bernardino just a few weeks ago. Ariel, I just think you're so funny and cool and I feel boring around you and I think it's because I want to be your friend. And here we are and we are friends, so you're welcome. (laughs) I think you're supposed to say, okay, that's weird. (laughs) If only, if only I was (laughs) as cool as Claire. Uh, Here we are talking about Crossroads. It's episode eight. We have 13 episodes in the season. I always mm-hmm. forget. I'm always like, is it 10? Is it 12? No, it's remember we used to do 13? I it's know. It's not a style, but for it a while, really this did. Was standard. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just like uh Brenda, Brenda's sparkly bandana. Some things are not are no longer in style. I have to say I was really disappointed <laughs> that we didn't see the sparkly bandana. It's become my favorite new character on the show. <laughs> um, but you if you are a fan. Of sparkly mm-hmm. bandanas and other such things. You should subscribe, pushrecaps.com slash six feet under and uh keep up with all of our podcasts. Search push or recaps six feet under. It's called six feed under. Mm-hmm. I have to keep that pun alive. Um Amanda, how did you how did you make out of these crossroads? What were your thoughts? Um, I thought that this was another really enjoyable episode. Um we get like, you know, more Claire content, which I love. I love Claire on her journey. She's at a crossroads, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, we get, you know, more of of uh, David on his journey of growth. Brenda and Nate's relationship is evolving. So I feel like this is really great at moving our characters forward we learn we get more rico content and i love when we get that so i thought this was another really fun episode yeah i agree and i think to your point there was a lot of good development with the characters some wonderful moments it's really starting to feel like these they've laid like a really good foundation for all these characters and now Mm -hmm. we're playing we're not just playing against uh, the the imagined histories of these people and all these things that have happened to them before we met them. But now we actually have context for mm. some of these things that they've been going through. And it's starting to feel, it's starting to feel real. I love mm. it. Not like, not like some of these dead bodies that are so clearly fake and full of. I don't know. Uh, After Rico gets done with them, they've never looked so good. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's how they look, but I just couldn't get past the, the uh, floss, the dental floss that he, I don't know if he had like stuffed floss in there. If he was like, you, yeah. Yeah, floss what do you to, use the floss to shape for? it? I don't mm-hmm. know, but 
This is why he's a he's basically an engineer as far as he's, I'm he's a MacGyver of sorts. <laughs> he's a MacGyver engineer. Um, this episode written by Lawrence Andrews, directed by Alan Coulter. Crossroads again is the title. Should we get into some quick plot recap stuff? Let's do continue? it. Let's do it. We begin the episode with the death of woo girl, Chloe Margaret Bryant Yorkin, who dies when she woos too hard at the sunroof of a limo. She wooed too close to the sun. She, <laughs> she wooed way too close to the sun. Probably gets smashed by uh, some construction equipment. My guess would be the speaking of the sun some lighting equipment maybe they're fixing the the traffic lights uh what is unusual about this is that her services are handled by kroger not fisher and sons yeah that's a that's a neat little wrinkle probably one of uh i don't know i don't know about that actually no wrinkles on chloe's face but this (laughs) is a wrinkle in the plot uh they hire federico kroger does to uh to repair i think i think it's kroger i keep saying kroger because kroger is like the supermarket okay, grocery store yeah uh they apologies to the imaginary <laughs> they hire they hire federico to repair the damages and this this comes from you know we left off that phone call last episode with federico and gilardi and now we see what's coming out of it uh because of uh federico's incredible skills with a scalpel but he is a terrible 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 liar i will say that three times and immediately gets caught by the fisher brothers especially nate like you get caught by nate then you're you're kind of a fool uh he's finally realized that he is worth more than they can pay him and he quits fisher and sons oh no uh and it turns out that kroner set the fire in their own building for the insurance money it's the one thing that we I mean, you and I both said we didn't remember, and I think it's... Boy, boy, did we not remember. At least this is like more out of a, a storyline from one of your favorite shows, The Sopranos, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, elsewhere, the Fisher brothers are still struggling to make ends meet and decide to rent out one of the rooms for square dancing. This is a Nate Bright idea, where, and I actually don't say this sarcastically, where David uh, and makes it so that David meets the cute dance instructor, Kurt. And they do a little bit of dirty dancing themselves. Thanks, Jess, for that. Uh, Nate's relationship with Brenda hits another speed bump as he uses Billy's most most recent bipolar episode to push Nate away. Nate then discovers a naked Australian man in her apartment house, uh, who she who he uh, she promises Brenda promises is just an old friend. Uh, at the end, they have their little makeup session, Nate and Brenda, that I'm excited to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Claire is getting busy uh, and her at her youth trip. I mean, she's not the one getting busy. She's not but, getting busy. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's trying to keep busy, uh, but she discovers that a classmate and the instructor guide person having sex, she thinks it's, you know, her... her Trek boyfriend Trevor or Topher. Topher? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. supposed to say Treffer. I'm like, that's not a name. But she does, <laughs> she does meet Kate, who, or at least she she bonds with Kate, who we've already met, her her friend from school, her acquaintance mm-hmm. from school, who seems to maybe be a possible friend. There seems to maybe be some groundwork for that here. Uh and we also have Ruth, meanwhile, who is busy having sexy daydreams about both Hiram, her boyfriend, and her boss, Nikolai. Very different. Ooh la la. Who will she choose? <laughs> and that is our episode eight. I feel like Ruth wow. is Ruth is really at a crossroads, definitely here. Oh my goodness. Yes. Lots of crossroads here. Where do you mm-hmm. want to start, Ariel? 
I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Claire. Yeah, we should we start with baby Claire? Mm-hmm. We talked about her maybe, you know, she thought she might have a will they, won't they with Topher, but mm-hmm. it's more like she had a will they, won't they with her with this uh, Parker is her name. Yeah. Parker is this character's name. And this is like one of the girls that's in that little like mean girls trio Mm -hmm. that Claire approaches about the PSATs when she decides that she's going to right before she tanks her exam, imagining her future. And yeah, Claire goes on this. First of all, this trip, Ariel is $1,200 for her to walk in the woods this is a scam this is this is what we call a scam yeah. this is this is bullshit if one of my kids is like uh mom i need like twelve hundred dollars so i could like smoke pot with somebody named topher in the woods and some guy dennis is gonna like have sex with one of the other like, they're that's guaranteed the crossroads program is they go on a hike and then they let the kids decide what direction to go in. This is wild. I was imagining something more like, you know, positive affirmations. They'd be mm-hmm. like in a, they'd be at least part-time in some kind of like nondescript auditorium. <laughs> and they're saying things about themselves, maybe holding up mirrors. Where is the curriculum? What are the learning the objectives? Um, I'm I... expecting like borderline cult behavior. And instead we get like this guy who again is having uh sex with the, mm-hmm. the students is it's seemingly he's running this business out of his garage yeah it's like what is this i you know hiking is great and that's you, know, you don't need to pay twelve hundred dollars exactly. to hike did they you even get do a- this for free you think ruth and hiram paid twelve hundred dollars no, they went to <laughs> no. <laughs> um they didn't and they didn't even have jerk chicken on this hike either <laughs> i didn't even see a, a sandwich um so, lol yeah. at the amount of pot that, that claire has oh my goodness claire is the hookup she's like <laughs> she's clutch on this trip mm-hmm. like no wonder she's so popular no wonder parker wants to be her friend i died when parker tells claire that she thinks she's funny and cool and feels boring and lame around her and claire just laughs and she's like this is totally weird (laughs) and yeah i mean it happens you know she as we've already said a million times she she has sex with the instructor and then there's obviously Mm -hmm. this moment of both her and the guy are kind of like oh god what is claire gonna do with this information but i think we know claire well enough to know that she you know the minute it wasn't topher she couldn't mm-hmm. care any less i mean she certainly doesn't agree with it happening she asked her later why'd you do it but i think it's so transparent i'm i'm so quick and annoying to to make a survivor comp but this just felt like when somebody goes up to someone else and is so clearly lying through their teeth or doesn't uh-huh. want to work them at all but they have to say something to them and there's like a self-interest component and here it's like very transparent and clear to her credit is is not afraid to shine light on the awkwardness and artificial nature of that moment yeah, yeah. No, Claire is great at this. I love what she says to Dennis. Like, our de- there is no longer any need for us to interact. <laughs> All need for us to interact has been removed. Um, but okay, so the purpose of this trip purportedly is like, you know, all these kids pay $1,200 and then they have this like learning experience out on the hike. They learn like self-reliance and Mm -hmm. leadership skills and whatever bullshits in the brochure that, uh, you know, Nate fell for and that Claire's (laughs) 
guidance counselor thought would be a good idea. Um, this is not the experience that Claire gets, but she does come away from this experience saying it was kind of amazing. She found out that everything that she knows is that everything that she thinks she knows is wrong. And the thing that the revelation that Claire has here is basically like, you know, people are not necessarily what they seem. Like she meets this guy, Topher, who likes to smoke pot and they make jokes about the Buffy and Dawson's Creek chicks. And, you know, like they're they're having a good time and she thinks he's, uh, you know, a kind of laid back F up. But then she finds out, oh, he's actually been doing crossroads every year since he's 14 and he's going to Stanford. She thinks that Parker is this stuck-up goody two-shoes. But then, as she says uh, later, when they're after they're kicked out together, she says, I thought that you were this little Miss Perfect, but now I realize you're a compulsive liar danger slut. (laughs) That was going to be my other intro for you. Dangerous one. It sounds really badass. Like mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I think Parker you put, kinda... <laughs> you put the name, you put the word danger for a slut. It's like, ooh, different dangerous connotation. Like yeah. <laughs> Fun. Um, so yeah, so this this ends up being somewhat of an eye-opening experience for Claire because like she realized that she's been making these assumptions. And you know, Parker says, um, you know, I thought you were this dark arty goth girl who's tragic and suicidal and Claire laughs you know oh that's that's so not who I am and I think we've talked about Claire in her kind of peer group and socially what it's done to her to be part of this family be associated with like driving around in the hearse and you know not really having these positive adult role models that she can rely on so much. And it's, I think it sort of kept her apart. And this relationship with Parker kind of represents that, um, you know, the people aren't what they seem and that like, you know, maybe she's been hiding behind this image that's made her more of an outcast and she can assimilate with p- other peers, um, you know, this thing, nobody's who they seem to be. And Claire says, nobody interesting. Yeah. So um, I think that this is like a really nice, uh, a nice little story for Claire. Unfortunately, Ruth's out $1,200 for this experience, <laughs> but I think it ends up going, I think it ends up going better, like as well as it could possibly go. Yeah. And I, I can't help but think of, you know, to the money point, all the, times that Topher has been on this now mm. and like oh, I yeah. almost feel like the um, Ruth betting away 25 grand or whatever it was is like a better <laughs> use of money than yeah. this year after year after year uh but yeah the point about no one that Parker I believe says that no one is ever who they seem to be is like mm. so obviously profound and you know this this feels like something out of uh out of madmen almost and it's mm-hmm. like you know it could almost play these days almost like comedy because it's so you know well trodden at this point but i think you know for for these characters to be so young and kind of been conf- being confronted with this reality claire in her life is so used to seeing people her adult figures kind of be you know fuck ups in a way and mm-hmm. for her to kind of now see oh wait the rest of the world is also kind of the same must be a very empowering yet frustrating experience yeah i also just want to point out i think we have to call out what like an 
absolute a-hole this dentist guy is because mm-hmm. like first of all he sleeps with a high school student it's not great it's not it's it's the opposite of great it's, it's, <laughs> it's terrible it's like illegal basically i mean depending on her age but still it's, it's at, at best bad. it's inappropriate <laughs> yes um and then to try to save his own ass he ends up kicking claire and parker out of the program like for no good reason and Um, taking claire's weed that is like (laughs) probably the worst thing that he does i wrote f all the way off michael cudlitz who plays him who's you know a prolific tv actor Mm. but this is awful behavior from him i I I don't know if I can ever look at him the same again, honestly. Wow. It's, just, I like, it's, it's so like textbook dirtbag. It is dirtbag. And I love this moment. It's so funny. Like where Claire's like, you need a search warrant to do that, which is such like <laughs> a like somewhat like she's like a like a high school student. Like, wait, you can't do that without a search warrant. It's like, I'm sorry, honey, you are at school. Like <laughs> Yeah, you were violating stuck. my first amendment, right? Like I just mm-hmm. I love Claire yeah, trying to it resist. Was basically here. that. Yeah. The um, way the way that uh, Dennis and and Parker like nobody's even on the same page. You would think that like Dennis and Parker perhaps like after this would be a little bit on the same page. But like she stands up for Claire, and he's so mm-hmm. far off being a dirtbag now because now he's concerned and being self centered and awful. Uh, but it is interesting to see like how quickly the the you know energy between all three of them changes throughout this these uh 12 14 hours perhaps yeah the way he kicks claire and parker out of the program and then tries to cozy up to claire to like try make sure that parker is going to keep her mouth shut i was just like dude you are not getting any goodwill or friendship from claire right now you kicked her out of the program like and for all he knows like he talked to her parents like we know that that he didn't he talked to david who sounds like a hard ass Um, but like you know he if you if you really if you really want to for claire to get your back here or parker to get your back then don't be a jerk and kick them out it's incredibly counterintuitive that's the most generous thing i can say it's like completely idiotic and i just don't i don't understand what his his end game is here obviously he's like oh i'll just you know nip the problem in the bud and like no Mm -hmm. but you probably shouldn't have slept with her at all and now you got yourself into the situation you you dummy but um he's yeah he's handling all kinds of wrong because kicking both of them out you're like asking them to do something about it or like want to get back at you it's right it's short-sighted i feel like give her the weed back bro if you yeah. <laughs> I really I went back and watched as, uh-huh. as soon as as soon as she walks away Claire I wanted to like see if she kind of snatched it back because that's mm-hmm. what I feel like that's something that she would do but unfortunately it did not happen yeah Claire and David get a sweet moment though at the end when David tells her that he's not going to tell their mom and then she asks about keith it's like it was very sweet it's so sweet you know that we've been keeping track and i'm Mm -hmm. quick to point out uh the claire sweet moments especially between her and david or her and her mom and the way i love the way she like gently pauses even before she asks the question she's Mm -hmm. like kind of looking around making sure the mood is right like but again just so earnestly interested in him and in his well-being and wondering how this guy is doing you know she probably doesn't know that 
that uh or david probably doesn't know that her and keith had that you know interaction when they were looking for the foot so i think it's like you know he she has had more exposure to keith than even he realizes mm -hmm. um and she's genuinely just asking and not in a judgy way not in like a teasy way the way nate does when he you know is right with david as we see a bunch in this episode she's just being nice and he answers thankfully for him uh showing some progress i guess when he kind of just takes it at face value and answers and mm -hmm. is kind of turning poison pours her the orange juice this family drinks so much orange juice and milk it's like it's like some 1950s stuff the amount my stomach acid was not happy watching this episode i have to say <laughs> um yeah i think it's an excellent point ariel that you point out the contrast between the way claire approaches david and the way that nate approaches david like nate is such a douchey bro about it who's like ha ha i know your secret you know mm -hmm. he he is so obnoxious in a way that like is going to make david shut down but claire is like so gentle and respectful of his boundaries while also clearly communicating her support and her like non-judgmental orientation towards it it's 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 really nice and it is a stark contrast to the way that nate handles anything about david's sexuality yeah anything about anything really but certainly <laughs> certainly certainly uh his relationship with um mm -hmm. with david i mean we start out the episode with nate in full mm -hmm. like frat boy mode like oh. i imagine this is exactly how he would sit outside i don't, I don't even yeah. think he joined a frat but like you would imagine this is what he was like in in, in college nate has like the guns out this whole episode yes. he's like i did notice then later on he's like oh no i'm gonna wear a tank top this, this <laughs> muscle shirt that he's wearing just like as you know david's wearing a suit and he's mm -hmm. like just walking around in his like muscle shirt and his you know hammer pants or something it's really <laughs> nice hammer pants <laughs> He was he was living that that he's like tanning. life. Yeah, like tanning outside. He had fallen asleep. Like first of all, that's awful for your skin. Mm. But he had fallen. asleep. We didn't know then, Ariel. <laughs> no, we didn't know then. Um, it's just it's uh he can just he can just do that in his like dual beach chairs. He needs one for his feet, one for him. And he, instead of having a uh, a, refl a whatever aluminum reflector, oh yeah, Polly Walnut style. He yeah, has, he has his book that he's supposed mm -hmm. to be studying from. Yes, and 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 surprise of all surprises, shocker of all shockers, Nate is going to fail the Undertaker's <laughs> licensing exam. Wah, wah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what he's he's convinced that he didn't do well, and uh, now we know why because he was literally sleeping it's it, he did yeah. get the one question right but i guess one out of three that's not great um, um for him. yeah yeah i mean so i want to say nate nate is not a dumb character but i've i've like reflected on this like this is one of my pet little theories that i mm -hmm. that i tell you to my husband like i really love a when writing can make a character complex without making them very smart or intellectual mm -hmm. like i love a um justin thoreau's character in the leftovers like i love yeah. when they can give a character depth without overly uh intellectualizing them which i mm -hmm. feel like is a crutch sometimes in yeah. writing and i love me some dumb complex nate fisher um like he, the fact that he fails like this 
Undertaker's licensing exam, which I'm sure he had to like memorize a lot of things. Um, but what else was he doing? Like besides sunbathing and, you know, walking around in his muscle shirt. Um, you just like, it's not a surprise at all that he's going to fail this test, but I thought it was an important thing for us to note because this is going to, at the end of this episode, we have David being the only licensed undertaker in the family. So there's things that only he can do like intakes, right? Ariel. Mm -hmm. And they've also lost Frederico. So he also has to be the primary person preparing and embalming the bodies. So I think that this is, um, well, right now it's a fortuitous time because there's a body drought, as we hear. This is like the longest <laughs> that the fishers have gone without body a dead drought. body since like uh, since the drought of 1994. It's been six days. Um, uh -huh. They're about to they're about to hit the jackpot with an overturned bus to David uh, to Vegas. And uh, Davis David is acting like it's Christmas morning. David is wild for this like the way he just and it's more than once it is two at least two if not three occasions where he is expressing the utmost glee at these poor people who got into this bus accident and it's you know as usual it's shark salesman david he's like yes we gotta get the business and then it's i think three people at the by the end of it it's like i think at least three of them we're gonna get three people and they're all uh Elderly seeming like it, yeah. that that part shouldn't matter, but it's like David, please. It's like what, how Brenda dumb. reacts when there's a sale at the limited. <laughs> and David, it's crazy because David is the first one to like yell at Nate when when Nate is acting in a certain way that uh -huh. David deems you know inappropriate for the funeral home when there are services or whatever. But privately, he's like you know throwing parades when people die. Um, let's talk about David and his new love interest, the hot line dancing instructor, Kurt. Kurt, yes. Uh, David is just, you know, running into people willy nilly. This is Nate's. This is Nate's doing, really, because mm -hmm. he's the one who, you know, invites the business of the of the uh you know, dance lessons and then plays wingman to Kurt and, and David. I mean, first they have their, their moment where Kurt sees David and he's like, Ooh, who is that pale man? Standing yes. There? Kurt is very forward and he like pulls him in to demonstrate the dance. It's like a very cute scene of the two of mm -hmm. them dancing together. And then of course, because it's six feet under, we get like the <laughs> fantasy montage of like one of the seniors being like, kiss him. <laughs> and then they kiss and dying. everyone applauds. <laughs> Incredible stuff from Dave. Kiss him. Oh my God. He's the he's the uh he's the main character of the soap opera he's, story. He's the bell of the ball. He is, and he, you know, certainly he's a dancer. I wouldn't say he's a particularly good one, but it's David, so you don't imagine he mm. maybe if he's drunk, he has shown himself to be a completely different person when he's been drinking. Yes. So perhaps uh perhaps that is best it's be his dancing is best kept under those circumstances but that uh that vision that he had just floored me it was so funny and then i have later... a very serious question though ariel yes. where did these seniors get such elaborate uh square dancing outfits I feel like these are the same people who do like civil war reenactments. Oh wow. Like they just have space in their garage 
for in their second garage probably for these outfits because they're like you they see, have the they professional lot yeah they have a professional costume hookup maybe they were all like extras and footloose or something like but these like they're they kept in touch these are full frilly skirts they have like vests with fringes they have cowboy boots this is the works. That's like five pounds of clothing I know. that you're wearing. I, that's what I kept thinking while I was watching. I'm like, that's a lot of stuff to move mm-hmm. around and have to be aware of when you're when you're dancing around. I'd be wearing, I mean, I don't know. I don't pretend to be a, a dancer. You'd be wearing your hammer pants and your muscle shirt. I'd be wearing my hammer pants and uh, a <laughs> tank top. I will I will call it that. I do <laughs> for think it's a good look for you, Ariel. So don't dismiss that. I think you I mean, pull that off. I mean, I... I can, I too can fall asleep outside looking like an idiot. So I think <laughs> Nate and I certainly have that in common. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and then David. So then we have the moment where, as I alluded to before, where Nate kind of very quickly becomes David's wingman, and he's pimps like, him yeah. out, yeah, pimps him out, right? According to David's words to Nate. He's like, yeah, he's absolutely free. There's nothing going on. We're in a drought. We're in a dead body drought. We're in a dead body drought. So he can absolutely go out with you. And David's like, oh, why'd you do that? But also, thank you. Mm -hmm. And he shows up to the date wearing Claire's shirt. I thought this was hilarious because we get the comment about the shirt before we kind of get a chance to see it in all its Uh glory. And he, I forgot the reference that he, that Kurt makes about it, but he's like, where did you get your something unlimited yeah. shirt? Yeah. And, and David's like very truthfully answers that he borrows, borrowed it from Claire, which is hilarious because now I'm thinking David doesn't really strike me as the kind of person to like steal it from, not that he's going to steal it, but like to take it without asking. So maybe he did ask. I think that's like another oh, that would positively be really sweet scene where he asked, asked her yeah. um, to wear it. Or maybe he But she might have been at Crossroads then. And so he's like, I'll just, I'll just borrow it. I'll like <laughs> wash true. it. I'll, I'll, I'll wash it, it with, I'll wash it with the dead bodies. And then I'll just be once, back up. Once he gets the call about the marijuana, he's like, oh no, I'm keeping that t-shirt. I'm never, I'm never giving that t-shirt back. Um, what I have a lot of club wear. I feel like he looks first of all i have been here it is literally impossible to dress properly for a gay club mm. i will just say that t-shirt is the way to go but you gotta I, call those seniors i have to <laughs> i have to say that he looked ridiculous <laughs> i have to just say that i'm sorry david i appreciate Can you the imagine attempt. how nervous he was though like getting ready how much he like probably put on all of his shirts he's like oh this is like a dress shirt he was like, like can i wear this suit yeah my, i have so many suits i could just wear this one this one's kind of fun it has like a blue tinge yeah. uh but no he he decides on this shirt and kurt seemingly loves it even though he kind of teases him about it because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, "Oh, you look good. I bet. I bet you look. I bet it looks even better off coming off of you." Mm-hmm. It's like, "Oh wow!" Clearly, he doesn't care it's about a, how dumb he looks. It's a good way to say that your outfit is stupid, but I still, <laughs> I, I still want to jump your bones. Right. Yes, jump your bones, as as Nate as puts it. it yeah. Nate also tells David that he 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 watches Will and Grace, so he has gay dogs. This is what. Nate, stop it. Uh, but hilarious from, from mm-hmm. Davis. Like, please do not say gay art. This is 
too yeah. many too much of uh my world's colliding for for david's taste so this date that david goes on is mm-hmm. like very interesting because we've seen david and keith together and they had been like in a somewhat committed relationship at the point that we even are introduced to keith so we don't get this like getting to know you type of scene and we know that kurt is uh you know is a good deal younger than david um He's a grad student. Maybe he's like in his mid 20s, whereas like David is in his mid 30s, I think, or like early to mid 30s at this point. So they're in slightly different stages of life. But Kurt is clearly like more out and further along in his like journey of Mm -hmm. being a, a gay man who's accepted that fully as part of his identity. He talks about like he's estranged from his parents and his like parents found out about him in high school he was kicked out of the house um you know he's like asking david things about like are you a top or a bottom he's referring Mm -hmm. to like gay culture like how you know gay men my age how they talk about older men it's like he's very much more immersed in this culture that david is still keeping himself at an arm's length from Mm -hmm. yeah uh Kurt is, he's being annoying. Like, I, I feel like he, he, his, his heart in, in some respects, his heart is in the right place. You know, he's, he said he's studying, uh, I believe. Like geriatric, he's a social worker yeah. and he works like with older, uh, older clients. And I, I feel like that is something that is, uh, missing at times from the gay cult, the, from the predominant gay culture is like the respect for the generations mm-hmm. before and like everything that they had to go through that we no longer have to go through. And that's like very sweet from him. But then he's also playing this uh, performative role. Like he's this in pseudo enlightened, like right. actualized gay person agreed with you for sure that he's like further along in the, in his process with coming to terms with himself, but like this, Oh, I've seen it all. I've done it all. You know, I like getting with older guys. Like that is so insulting. That's so like, insulting. To David, like, yeah. it, it's not like David's like 40 or 50 and this guy's like 20 it's not like he's 40 which is no i mean yeah it's like 40 years old like but da- like for like 40 to 20 is i think a more appropriate oh, gap yes, than yes. like 25 it, to 35 when this right. guy i mean their age gap in real life is only like six years and whatever the characters could be different mm-hmm. but it's just like such a backhanded comp or i don't even know that there's a compliment not in there. a compliment so bad nobody yeah nobody like likes that. to be called like an older the older like the older man like i don't the, know it's not yeah. a big enough age discrepancy for that to be like and 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 david like reacts to it and 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 the way he asked the the top bottom question which is a perfectly fair question you know it is a little forward but it's you know fair-ish in the in the in the specific circumstances they find themselves in but then the way that he dismisses this is like a Uh this is like a whatever i guess like a gay culture more of an in-joke but like he asked david if he's a top or a bottom and then david kind of hesitates and he's like versatile and he's like great bottom so this will work out great for us it's like and then you even get the sex in the city like after uh, yeah. punchline <laughs> where it literally felt like a Samantha storyline where she's like, oh, I guess you are versatile. Yeah, and it then, like, was, just, oh, it's so sex in the city. That is such a good point. Um, Yeah, yeah. I, I agree that like they make Kurt like a little bit obnoxious in this. But what's also interesting is that 
David like does kind of explicitly lie here to Kurt when like mm-hmm. Kurt asks like how did your parents react when you came out we yeah. know that you know David has not did not ever have the opportunity to come out to his father he has not yet come out to his mother um you know like it's like there's a little bit of this like experience conversation like where mm-hmm. Kurt's like I've had lots of boyfriends and then like you know um but it's David is a little bit I think uncomfortable here like presenting himself like to Kurt and of course you know this is a very new thing he doesn't owe Kurt anything but it's like this is different from his relationship with Keith which you know we had seen at a much different stage where Keith was like very aware of where David was at and like I think that David is still trying to figure out post Keith like what is his place in the gay community like what is his next step in terms of relationships or sex or whatever um but you know this seems like it seems like a good step for now at least i think for david yeah i i agree that it is a a good step for him to be envisioning it and the tragic thing is it's the extra tragic part when he's talking about his dad is like he has he has enough information to know that his dad knew according to his ex-girlfriend and was seemingly really cool about it so like the tragedy of he never got to talk to his dad about it ever but he has now learned after the fact that he was so like for him to kind of rewrite history a little bit here and and have that to say about his dad is not quite factual but also kind of exactly what happened and it's it's Mm -hmm. just extra sad that he that they they didn't have that relationship and he has every reason to believe that he will that it will come out to bear that his mom will have have some problems with it it. yeah um yeah and like i think to your point it's like rewriting their relationship with their father through eight episodes is sort of what this show is all about like imagining nate senior and trying to get back those moments and and reinterpret their relationship with the way that they wish that it had been and so it's interesting that it gets invoked here yeah it's as everything else on the show it's a it's a little bit sad even though it makes you smile uh but speaking of nate senior his true protege federico has Mm -hmm. now flown the coop and uh is off to to bigger and better things this is this is heartbreaking for me when Frederico at the end is like he re- he's so good at reading David especially and yeah. you can tell in like some of the ways that he that early on Frederico was like interacting with Nate about David and kind of giving Nate information about their relationship and here he so immediately catches that they didn't even talk about they didn't, it yeah as far as like counter offering his offer yeah. from from Gilardi it's so heartbreaking to watch him have that realization and the fact that Ruth happens to be there, I think, is really interesting mm-hmm. because of the Nathaniel Sr. connection. And obviously, she's known Frederico for a long time because of how long he's been around. And he really is, like, leaving this family. So the idea that they would all be there is is crazy. But, um, yeah, Frederico. 
They um, suck. They suck. When uh, it comes to I know. No, they they do. They're like terrible bosses. They're for as much sympathy as you have for the Fishers at various points. I think that it's just always a bad look in their interactions with Rico. And I think that this Rico plotline is like the soul of this episode. I think this was the most important and most impactful storyline for me in this episode. I think that this episode doesn't have like a single ghost person. Actually, I feel like there's no dead body that's talking to anybody no yeah no in this i can't think of i can't think like of one no either. nathaniel senior chloe just stays dead mm-hmm. after she woos um but um yeah it's it's fascinating because in this episode and we've we've gotten bits and pieces of this all along we find out that like rico's relationship was really with nathaniel senior that nathaniel Mm. senior believed in him nathaniel senior invested in him in terms of getting him through school giving him the chance um and part of rico's you know attachment his his part, part of him staying in this job has been out of loyalty to mm-hmm. the Fishers and especially uh, Nathaniel Fisher Sr. Um, we've suspected all along and, you know, Vanessa knows it, that like they don't pay him what he's worth. They don't treat him with respect. Like, right. you know, in the last episode, Nate like complains about something with the elevator is going to take somebody's finger off. And Rico's like, well, now you care because it's your finger. Um, just in terms of like the demands on his schedule, uh, the quality of his work, the respect that they have for making the job like safe and equitable for him. Like they've never done that in a, uh, in a fair way. Um, and Gilardi is going to take advantage of that because Rico is insanely talented. And like when he does the restoration of Chloe York and like we've, you know, he calls it his Sistine chapel. And like, we, we see like that gruesome, you know, effect of like what the terrible like you know getting decapitated by a traffic light through a sunroof like we see if Rico really can do that that's like quite incredible and um David and Nate both have like very different approaches to this and I think it's interesting to look at them individually um Nate who is sort of like ostensibly like the more empathic like more lenient, um, mm-hmm. like less kind of hard ass of the two has like tried to seem like the cool boss to Rico, like, oh yeah, no problem. Take this time off for the ultrasound, you know, do this and this. But but Nate, more than David, just sort of expects that Rico will stay out of loyalty and is more like personally offended that Rico would leave Fisher and Sons. Yeah, I think that's true. And it is a little bit of a shock at the end of this episode when David's like, yeah, well, you know, we he was gonna realize it eventually. That what that you were treating him like crap, like the idea that he knew the kind of whole time. Yeah, and he, yeah. David says he's finally figured out that he's worth more than we can pay him. And it's like, <sighs> David is no, they've known that they were undervaluing his labor. And as you know, the co-host of the strike up the conversation podcast, like this is very, you know, this is like very serious. And um, of course, employers are always incentivized to undervalue the Mm -hmm. labor of their employees. And 
they have been exploiting Rico's good feelings towards their father to get this work out of him and not even like treating him well enough that he would want to stay out of loyal, like even not even like pushing on that loyalty thing by right. making this like a nice cushy job for him. And still it's like Rico is very much like he wants to make it work with the Fishers. Like he yeah. asked, like he gives them the opportunity to make him an offer. He wants partner like and David is like, you know, very like holds the line that would require a significant financial investment. Like Nate wants right. to, you know, come up with something else. But like um, David holds that line. And like Vanessa has known this all along. And I don't mm -hmm. and I think it's like if, if it wasn't for Vanessa's urging, then Rico probably would continue to like underestimate himself and stay in this like abusive work situation. Um but, you know, this is like what gives him the push. And when he walks out, it's tragic and disappointing how willing they are to let him go. To let him it's go. God, it's. <sighs> yeah, I've been following along, you know, here in my Spanish corner with Vanessa telling him about he deserves so much better and they undervalue you as we all agree with, and seemingly even David, we find out here in this episode, <laughs> agrees with that, yes, we undervalue you. And the fact that they would rather, he would, David would rather like start from scratch and look for somebody else, even though he knows that Rico's probably one of the best, instead of trying to go out of his way to do something and make the situation right, make it sustainable, make it tenable for Rico, that he wouldn't be able to that he wouldn't be willing to do that is insane and and but i'm mostly disappointed in nate because nate yeah. seems to really want to try to make this work and we have seen nate like you said his empathy uh for people at times he's really good at at, at trying to do what he believes is the right thing and i think here he knows what the right thing is and he wants to allow himself some time to try to win david over but then he just forgets and like, yeah. yeah, he's dealing with stuff with Brenda. He's studying for his test, but like, yeah, but this is why it's, it's always bullshit <sighs> with Nate because when yeah. like, when the rubber hits the road, it's like Nate is just like completely self-absorbed and doesn't actually care about anybody but himself. Like when Rico leaves, he's just like, they'll never realize how good you are. They'll just treat you as another part of the assembly line. And it's just like, no, F you, Nate, you're the man. Like, uh, yeah, Croner the is man the man, here, yeah. but you are also the man. Like, that's how you treat Rico. And it's like, you're yeah. not better than that. You're just, like, worried about <sighs> your own stuff. And, like, you're not actually willing to, like, you know, I mean, stand up to David and say, let's make him a partner. Like, it's. It's um, they're both like at least David, I think, recognizes what he's doing and is honest mm -hmm. about it. But Nate continues to be self deluded in that there's something like great about Fisher and Sons that they're the good guys and yeah. Kroner is the bad guy. And like Rico is making a bad choice when Rico is making the choice that is best for him and his family. And those are the only people that deserve his loyalty. Like Nate and David do yeah. not deserve his loyalty. And Ruth says, like, Nobody owes us anything. Yes, it's like she's on her woman. own path. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, listen, I've had a lot of people show up to my job, whether imagined <laughs> or real. And I don't know anybody, anything. Certainly no. not those plane mm -hmm. tickets that Hiram bought <laughs> me. Um, yeah, it's it, it, that moment when it's David and 
Ruth being like, yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Frederico, you deserve yeah. better. We were never going to give yeah, it. You deserve you. better. And we're a bunch of cheapskates. And like and Fisher and Sons, like, what do they have without Rico? Like what? Like, oh, David's like customer service. Like if Nate's, it, yeah, if Nate's his... forearms. Like what do Fisher and Sons have without Rico? If, if, I mean, yeah, no, I'm thinking about that. But if David <laughs> is, if David is as rigid in his body preparation as he is in his life then they're in for some mm. returns mm-hmm. or maybe not returns because it's probably not all, but they're in for some customers some cl- complaints some possible low yelp reviews in their mm-hmm. future it's yeah. uh he by his own admission can't do what frederico does and seemingly no. can't come close so what the hell are they gonna do you think they'll bring in claire like claire come on learn this thing you're so interested in this Claire, draw a skull, skull and crossbones on this body. <laughs> so that people know it's dead. Um, Ariel, I think we have to talk about a nude Australian man. Wow. And it's not because I was just watching a season of Australian Survivor. <laughs> it is a different Australian man. Now it I is, know why you like that show so much. It is Connor. It is Connor, I believe his Connor, name is. yeah. The the naked Australian man that Nate runs into at Brenda's place. And it's very the uh, scary thrilling for a moment thriller genre, I should mm-hmm. say, when Nate shows up and the broken window, and then he kind of like breaks in and he's like hello and he picks up the whatever you know he, yeah he's appropriative yeah and it's just this guy connor who brenda knew and but he's there without her and the place is a mess i mean spe- to, i i mentioned nate in college earlier this mm-hmm. is like a dorm room this is yes. awful like takeout everywhere i'm I'm judging Brenda so hard in this moment, like possibly harder than all of them. Always. Yeah. 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 Connor says, you think I'm pretty sus. (laughs) Which I was like, wow. I didn't know people were saying that. Maybe in Australia. Maybe in Australia. It takes a while to get. They were ahead Um, of the curve. No, this is. Okay. So Connor is visiting Brenda. He's completely naked because he's like that. And apparently she's drying his clothes. The house is trashed. Um. They're definitely sleeping together, right, Ariel? Like, there's no way that Brenda and Connor are not sleeping together. <sighs> I, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say. We get a lot of drug-induced visions from Nate mm-hmm. in this episode, but it does seem to, it seems like most of the things he sees are real, even if they're exaggerated. But, Some like, of- everything, like, so first she says, he's like, why didn't you tell me Connor was staying with you? And she's like, well, I knew you'd overreact. And then he's like, why didn't you tell me like why did you lie and say he was sleeping in the sleeping bag and she's like because i knew you'd over it's like but i'm not i'm not it's like well how do i know that you're not also sleeping with him and you're not because you knew i'd like she's admitting that she's lying to him to manage his reaction Mm -hmm. um this is brenda oh god brenda what like i'm really glad that they have the conversation that they have at the end of the episode because this is just like not okay. And even Nate is like, okay, I'm willing to put up with a lot, but this is too much. And you can't keep like gaslighting me or like over, uh-huh. you know, yeah. over psychoanalyzing me to get out of your responsibility to the situation and to our relationship. It's like, it's wild. And he's, you know, on the page that we all have been for a little while now. And I, you know, I want to say, I guess, credit to Brenda for in the end kind of being like, that's fair. 
Yeah, he says like, so Nate says, I love you and I want to be with you for the long haul, but there's a limit to the amount of shit I will put up with. And then Brenda is snarky and says, did you just make me a lifetime commitment followed by a thinly veiled threat of abandonment? And it's like, yes, Brenda. Yes. Yes. I should have abandoned you at day one. (laughs) When I saw that damn brown pantsuit. Uh, um, but yeah, the, the way that he, the way that he very quickly turns it around on her in that conversation. And it's like, you did all these things, the thing with Billy, the thing, you know, and now Connor and like, clearly you're just pushing me away and it's so transparent to me now, I guess mm-hmm. he finally had the realization or he was in denial, whatever. And that's when she says it's fair. And he's like, look, this, we can't go on like this. I want to go on with you, but this is it's not okay for you to treat me like, like you were treated as a child, frankly, like she's treating him like a lab rat in some ways and experimenting with him and, and trying to, to, you know, modulate his responses and anticipate Mm -hmm. things. And like, that's not a reason to do. And we all know she even says it the whole, you know, the way her parents treated her, the horrible, very objectively horrible things that, that she had to go through when she was a kid of a young kid who was seemingly punished for being intelligent and then uh, does not at all excuse the way she weaponizes it and has been yeah. against Nate consistently. But um, like, at oh, least it feels like they're finally they're talking on the about same it. page yes. and being honest. Yes. It's like, let's not pretend Nate stop pretending like it was okay. Just yes. placate Cause her. he's been letting her like basically dictate, yeah. you know, the terms of how they interact. And when she wants to be super intrusive and up in his business, then she demands the right to that. When she wants to put up a barrier, then she resents him for even questioning it. So like, I think that this is the beginning of a conversation Mm. that would need to happen for them to move forward in a healthy way. Am I optimistic about Brenda? I don't know. I don't know if I go that far, Mm -hmm. but at least like they're having this open dialogue. Um, I did like this line. Like, first of all, I thought it was really neat the way they like first. So Billy is like kind of actively pushing, like drugs on Nate during during this party. Like he is trying to stoke this paranoia and basically Mm -hmm. incite this fight. Like he's loving naked Connor mixing it up. Like there's yeah. The, the image of, of, Billy, like just off center camera, like feeding him the bong and like lighting it for him is like so obviously it's twisted, but it's also hilarious to watch it happen because you know exactly what he's doing. Yes. Uh, And he's enjoying it. You know, I feel like him and Brenda have that in common, right? Like they're going to stir the pot and then enjoy watching it boil or they love or whatever they love that and i loved when billy asked nate haven't you ever slept with a woman and not had sex with her and nate just like thinks about it for a second and shouts no no and then he walks <laughs> out. Like, what do you mean um that was just <laughs> universally hilarious um and another great line here which i think is important is when you know connor is talking to nate and say you know i'm glad that you two hooked up. I couldn't handle her playing Freud all the time. And then Nate says, yes, she's a complicated woman. And Connor just says, no, she's not. (laughs) not. And seemingly, I think that's a little bit of what gives 
Nate the 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 courage, the ground to stand yes. on for in his own head. Like of this like, is not complicated. It's no, she just is. She up. wants him to yes. think it's complicated, and she has been treating him like it's this big complicated mm-hmm. thing. But Nate knows he fundamentally understands in his gut the emotions and the the plays that she is making. He's like, okay, I need to. I have gotten this confirmation from this, uh, you know, possibly neutral third party mm-hmm. uh, with some history there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take this shot, take you know, yeah, take advantage of this moment and 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 speak my mind and take the risk because it is a risk for him to call her out on the shit like that. Yeah, no, I I have to say, like you know, this is where Nate's unfounded self confidence is working for him. Like- <laughs> <laughs> he he believes that he deserves better, and so he's going to tell Brenda what he needs in order to move forward in this relationship. And gosh, I just hope that uh, those two crazy kids can get on the same page, Ariel. Yeah, because she deserves to see him in a tank top. You know, <laughs> that's all. That's all I will. That's the yeah. last thing I will say about them speaking uh, of crazy kids yeah got... <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of some adult sexy time we we uh we have our last mm-hmm. uh fisher family person it's ruth and she's she's conflicted i don't think i don't know if she knows quite yet i think ruth has this way of kind of lying to herself a little bit ruth is what's like, going on ruth like a little vixen here like Mm -hmm. she was you know having an affair with Hiram while she was with Nathaniel senior now she's with Hiram and she can't stop fantasizing about Nikolai and his traditional Russian garb um she's like I think that Ruth is the drama she likes like being in the middle of these love triangles she can't help herself she is this is the time as she said where you know she doesn't know anybody anything as she says mm-hmm. about Federico at the end of the episode and uh she's feeling free she's feeling like a free agent she loves feeling pursued right she's like, yeah my agent has been getting a lot of calls about <laughs> my floral arrangements and it's nice to be appreciated and she doesn't know she i love that she's conflicted between like the very stable yet boring energy that she's getting from Hiram, you know, contrasted with this very fiery, unpredictable yeah. energy that she gets from from Nikolai, who has a little bit of like a, a jealous tantrum when Hiram shows up to visit her for lunch. It's like yeah. lunch suitor wars. Here. Yeah, he did he didn't think that the chicken looked good. Um yeah, I think like, you know, sometimes sometimes you want you're in the mood for vanilla ice cream Ariel. Sometimes you're in the mood for Rocky Road. Ruth is like enjoying having these options presented to her. And mm-hmm. as somebody who we know got married very young, probably didn't have a lot of experience with different men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a rebirth for her, and there's a lot of possibilities that are opening up. So um I think that I think I think that this makes a lot of sense, you know, mm-hmm. from it, we think about where Ruth is right now in her journey. Um, but you know, we'll see how this pans out. I don't know. Are you feeling like, do you think one of these suitors is particularly a good match for Ruth? Where would you like, what are you shipping at this point? I mean, I think that she enjoys the way in which Nikolai challenges her and, Mm -hmm. and has uh, a very different outlook on the world. You know, obviously, 
one that is at times problematic about women, about mm -hmm. gender roles. But at the end of the day, she she really likes his his energy because, like I said before, it's 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 never neutral. You're getting either a lot of good or well, him with her, who he's you know he's very transparent with the way he feels about her, whether he realizes it or not. Uh, he's either angry at her or you know being like lovey and kind of flirty and. I think what's interesting, what's most noteworthy for me is how she continues to to be a, uh, like evasive about Hiram's questions or lie to him at mm -hmm. certain points, just outright, I think is is noteworthy. I think she wants to she wants to believe that she could be happy with Hiram, but she's not sure if she can be. That's Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, despite irreverence being his drug of choice and uh, his son <laughs> loving hamster watch, I guess Hiram probably seems like a little bit, you know, a little bit more like now, you know, this is who she was already seeing before. Uh, Nate Fisher senior died. Um, maybe he seems like more of the same. Maybe she's looking for something, uh, like you said, a little bit more challenging, a little bit different. So, um, I think that right now, like she's enjoying just being pursued and it's like mm -hmm. awakening something in her. Um, so I'll be interested to see where that goes. Yeah. Because she didn't have, you know, a, a flower, recontextualized mm, awakening yes. with Hiram. She had no. that with, I mean, really with herself, but like mm -hmm. it was in the context of Nikolai and his business. So I feel like that's a hard, that's a hard emotional connotation to separate, I think, from, from Nikolai. So good luck, Ruth. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she's at a crossroads that the episode mm -hmm. is named. Just and, like uh, uh, Britney Spears was at a crossroads. What is that? What that? What was that film that came out? Crossroads, I believe it was called. 2002. Crossroads. Oh my yeah, goodness. All of these movies. The Room. Crossroads. Written by Shonda Rhimes, who, you know, we have the, wow. the Grey's Anatomy, Sandra O oh connection here. Yeah. Um, with the show. Oh my gosh! It was should, who's the Britney Spears? Who's the Zoe Saldana? And who's the Taryn Manning of the Fishers? Um, I think probably Ruth, Ruth is the Britney here. I think. I think Nikolai is definitely that's the Taryn. <laughs> I think just just as far as uh, some of their politics, perhaps. Wow. Um, but I guess that leaves that leaves Zoe Saldana with uh, with Hiram, which is you know a bad look for her. <laughs> She's never been happier. The mother of rustic cuisine. <laughs> oh. Well, aye, aye, aye. Ariel, that's episode eight. We are going to be back with episode nine, which I struggle to, which is called. It's called Life's hey, Man. Too Short. Episode no. nine, season one, six feet under life's too short. We'll be back with that in just a couple of days. Uh, what else do you have going on? Where can people keep up with you? Oh, I'll be, let's see, I'll probably be at the movies if people want to come mm. find me because there's some gajillion things coming out uh, and I sound bitter about it, but it's wonderful. Um, I'm covering some of those movies with Grace here on Posher Recaps Theater and we do a movie every week. Sometimes we do two if we love some of the some of the other selections, I am on uh, also covering Grey's Anatomy, the aforementioned with Chappelle every month. We'll be back with a holiday themed episode uh, at the beginning of next month or really this month. Actually, it's December already. Christ, mm -hmm. uh, excuse me for using the Lord's name in vain so close to his birthday. <laughs> 
goodness. Uh, but I am on Twitter. Not the little at baby other, Jesus. I am on Twitter at that other Ariel. What about you? Um, I am also talking to Grace Leader every week covering The Curse on Showtime and Paramount Plus with Showtime. Um, having a lot of fun with that series. So check that out. And as always, you can keep up with everything that I'm doing by following me on Twitter, where I'm at Dr. Amanda R. And we will be back in just a few days talking about episode nine, Life's Too Short. And until then, dear listeners, 